happy to have everybody here, and Happy New Year to all of you. Well, let's go ahead and get started. I'm the teacher today, uh, but I'm hoping that with Tim gone that you will be very helpful to all of us, And because I think what happens when Tim isn't here is um, then we get to hear from each other a little bit more. <laughs> and when we speak and hear ourselves talk, I think we start to believe what we really are um, thinking more. And so I think that's advantageous. Michael Bird's going to open with prayer. Gracious Lord, we again thank you so much for the privilege of meeting together and discussing the science of salvation. And we ask you to please be with us today and, and open our hearts and minds that we may be closer to you. Amen. So today we're studying the lesson, uh, of course, the new quarterly called Discipleship, and we're on lesson two. It's entitled Discipleship Then and Now. We did a little bit of an introduction to discipleship last week, but I just wanted to go over the introduction one more time because I really like the definition of what a disciple was. Uh, so look on the intro on page two, if you would, and on that second paragraph, if someone would read that, if you have that second paragraph, a disciple. A disciple is a person who has accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, committed himself, herself, in a growing relationship with God, and by the Holy Spirit is integrated, is integrating the Lordship of Jesus into every area of daily life. Disciples are committed to being responsible members of the church through active and consistent participation in mission, and they are moved by the internal motivation of God's Spirit. So really, if you break that paragraph down, there were five components that I saw that you, if you were a disciple, this is, this is what the definition was. So it, it encompassed both God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and, um, and then created a mission for yourself to do something, and then you're motivated by somebody, some, something. What was that motivation by? God's spirit. God's spirit. So, um, what do you think about that definition? Do you like that definition as a disciple? I like it. I like it too. Um, I liked it that first of all, you accepted Jesus as your savior, your personal savior, and that there was a growing relationship with God. All right, and Jesus and God have the same ideal, same mission, right? Same person, right? I am the Father and I am the, and the Father alone. Yep, they were they are one, and and then using the Holy Spirit to integrate I, I call it integrate the character of Jesus into our everyday life, and again that's knowing who Jesus or God is, and then um, allowing the Holy Spirit to help you become that Jesus or that God um, as His character. Then it says something different. Now, now it's not just about personal stuff. Now it's what are you going to do with that information? What are you going to do with it? And it creates a mission to serve um, others as well as um, just yourself, learning more about Jesus or God through active mission. What do you think that means? Well, it means getting outside of your own life, your own schedule, your own needs, mm-hmm. your own shopping, your own desire, your own... And Put emphasis on the needs of others. Okay. So that, again, creates like a selfless environment. And I like what you said, community. Um, 
you know, as you know, my husband does uh, group life here at the church, and I'm always hearing about community and how important community is and how important it is for us to become a community or become one. And we are a huge, huge church, and even this class is really, really huge, and not everybody can speak within one hour. But it's very important to have a community of believers or a small group to all come together and to talk about what you're going to do about your personal relationship with God or how that's going to manifest itself. So I think that's really, really important. I myself am in a small group, and I would encourage all of you to also be in a small group where you have community built up with just 8 to 12 people that you are really uh, hooked into and are willing to serve them so that when difficulties in life come, that that's part of what you are and do is help them. I think that's just really, really important. Anybody else here a part of a small group that that meets together on a weekly or at least uh, twice a month basis? Because I think that would be an important uh, outshoot of this class is to have a lot of small groups within our our large group. I think that would be really important to do. So I'd like you to start thinking about that because we're both Tim and I have talked about that um, and to promote that within our own class to start creating small groups where you all are studying a part of the Bible or um, a part of your mission with, um, within a small group. I think that would be important to do. And then motivated by God's spirit. Let's, let's find out what God's spirit is. What's God's spirit? What does that mean? What are the methods that would be used to follow God's spirit? What kind of character traits might you have? I think selflessness. Okay, that's a big one, isn't it? Selflessness, all right. What else? Well, the Holy Spirit is a very active thing. If you've ever done a study on the Holy Spirit through the Bible, the, the Holy Spirit's an extremely active being, mostly concerned with um, connection of people who need, with people who have something they can give, concerned with consolation of people when they need the strength, concerned with wooing almost, a winsome kind of a a wooing of a person to God. We're told that Jesus' sacrifice would have meant nothing if it weren't for the activity of the Holy Spirit. And if that Spirit is in us, then our position would be wooing people for Christ through our own behavior and through our behavior towards them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what would those behaviors look like? The fruits of the Spirit. What are those fruits? Love, joy, self-control, patience. Yeah. And we have to really go back to those, don't we? I'm going to talk a little bit later about people that were important in your lives and maybe had an in, a strong influence in your life, but... You know, we have to keep looking at the fruits of the Spirit because that's the only way that we can understand one another, really, or um, or actually know if you are part of God's people, right? Is through the Spirit. Uh, not that we're judging, but rather that we're understanding uh, where these people are coming from, right? So I have love for one another, tenderness, compassion, lifting others up, giving, selfless giving, you know, all these things. Are we doing those things? So look in your own life. Are you doing those kinds of things? As opposed to Satan's spirit, which is, of course, the opposite, selfishness, all right? What are some of the other traits that his spirit might have? Destructive. Destructiveness by um, hurting other people, right? And that could be with gossip. Um, it could be with uh, tearing others down, uh, self-exaltation, and uh, taking instead of giving, telling lies, right? 
So all of those things are his spirit instead. Okay, well, let's skip to Sunday's lesson. This lesson talks about choosing discipleship both in Jesus' time and today. And in the tradition of teachers or professors back in Jesus' day, the teacher is the one that chose his disciples. And Jesus chose 11 of his disciples. Who was the one he did not choose? Judas, of course. And Judas asked to be part of his disciples. And what did Jesus say? When uh, Do you remember what he said? Trying to tell Judas that this was not going to be an, an earthly kingdom he was going to build up. What did he say to him? Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And Judas still didn't get it, did he? Sunday's lesson reminds us of the Greeks seeking his discipleship in John 12.20. It talks about that there. That was the first question on Sunday's lesson. But the Greeks' um, tradition of finding a someone to follow, to be a discipleship to, was that they would choose the teacher. The disciple would choose the teacher. And the students initiated this relationship, and they often paid the teacher to sit at their feet and to learn from them. Um, that's kind of like what happens today, isn't it? We become students, and we pay, don't we, to sit at the feet. <laughs> we pay dearly, <laughs> especially here at Southern. Um, but I think it's worth it in many instances. Well, now the Greeks were interested in the truth about the mission that Jesus had. Did God, or did Jesus grant them an audience? Yes. Yes, he surely did. And this was right at the, at the week before his death that he granted them. Why do you think he did that? I don't think he ever turns away from that was earnestly seeking the truth. And, and that's what uh, the Bible implies, is that they were earnestly think, seeking. It wasn't like they wanted some kind of earthly gain. They really wanted to know what Jesus was all about, didn't they? And he actually granted them an audience. And they, um, Mrs. White tells us in The Desire of Ages that he uh, came out of the sanctuary um, where he could meet with people that were you know, not Jews. Uh, evidently non-Jewish people couldn't go into the sanctuary and so he came out of the sanctuary where he was actually teaching and granted them an audience so did um, Jesus call them as disciples or were they seeking him they were seeking him but Jesus calls all of us to be disciples excellent very good he calls all of us and do you think that perhaps he was wooing them as well well, that was in their tradition, the Greek tradition, that, that people sought out. That's right. Mm-hmm. But the Holy Spirit probably wooed them to understand what his mission was as well. Right. And so how do we know that he has called all of us? And does he, is he arbitrarily, I mean, not all of us are called to be teachers or preachers, and then there are those that aren't following him at all. So how do we know that he doesn't predestine some of us to be his disciples and others... Uh, he doesn't call at all. Is that could that be true? I think we all are called, but not many do give the answer. We all have the privilege of representing his character in our daily life, mm-hmm. so other people know what God is. I'm glad you brought that up because really, it is up to us to present his character, isn't it? Since he's not walking on this earth now. I think that's and I want to say that it's not something we have to do. We are privileged to do to represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's a very nice way of putting it. I think 
that's why he didn't let the demoniac that he healed be part of him. It's like, yeah, you have a story to tell. We all have a story to tell, and if we all just congregate in one area, then we're not reaching the people that he wants to reach, and he wants people everywhere to tell the story, tell what Jesus mm-hmm. has done for us. Mm-hmm. Very good, yeah. Very good. So if we look at Romans eight twenty nine and 30, it tells us that he calls us in there. But in Acts 10, 34, it tells us that he treats us all the same. So he calls us all. He, he creates a, an environment where he would like all of us to be part of his discipleship. But not all of us choose that, do we? Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. I love that Bible verse. Does anybody have that real quickly? Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. When you search for me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. So, are we seeking? Are we being called? Yes and yes. <laughs> Both, right, yeah. So, that's a really nice one. And then, of course, the Gospel Commission, all of us know Matthew 28, 19, and 20. He wants us to teach all to be his disciples, to all become part of him. So are we seeking the truth about God every day in our lives? Or are we too busy? And then when we come together, then we can seek Him. But we want to be seeking Him every day, don't we? Mm-hmm. Every day. Um, keep that connection going. Yeah, keep the connection going. All right, Monday's lesson. Uh, discipleship among the Jews. I found this kind of interesting because sometimes when we think about Jesus calling the disciples, we think that he just called them out of the blue and they didn't know who he was. But he had a ministry that was not his formal ministry before he came to Galilee. So in Judea, he had um, he had probably been teaching for about a year and a half. And so in the in that country. Many people who were teachers got well-known because of word of mouth. You know, that travels a little bit faster than email sometimes. So John and Andrew, I believe it were, were one of his first disciples. And they had already been hearing him on and off and knew of him. And then who was it that was preaching some reform in the wilderness? John the Baptist, Baptist, uh uh-huh. And it's kind of interesting to really think about what was going on then. Who would John the Baptist be like if it were today? Elijah. Elijah? Is that what you said? Elijah? But if it were today, I mean, postmodern today, who would it be like? Is there anybody out there that's different? Yes. He'd be that crazy guy with the long hair on the street corner. (laughs) Downtown in Chattanooga with his poster. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. That's what you would come across as. Mm -hmm. And people had to go out to see him, didn't they? He wasn't just downtown on a street corner, though. He was, they had to go out to see him. They had to make probably a day trip of it. What do you think about, um, I think John the Baptist probably was kind of strange. In many different ways. I mean, he ate locusts. Wasn't even chocolate covered. Um. It was probably considered pretty radical because mm-hmm. they were very steeped in tradition. They went to the teachers in the synagogue and he's mm-hmm. out in the wilderness. And he hadn't been taught by the priests or the rabbis. His father yeah. was a priest. Pardon? His father was a priest. Right, but he had left the, his home, hadn't he, early in his life. Where did he get that? Well, I get that impression that he, I don't know. 
Okay, good. I get that impression, but I think tradition tells us that. Don't you think his father and mother prepared him for that, though? Because they knew what his mission was. How, I mean... I don't know. It's told him, Mm -hmm. raised him, knowing. Mm -hmm. And he was very obedient to that calling, wasn't he? Well, the prophecies were a huge study item back then, it seems Mm -hmm. like. And he he must have gotten into those just like Jesus did Mm -hmm. and understood... Okay, so he had some teachings and readings that he could do himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find that really interesting. Um, And and so when Jesus actually called his disciples, they probably knew a little bit of him. And do you think that they some of them had maybe been at his baptism? At Jesus' baptism. (laughs) At Jesus' baptism, and seen his. Seen what had happened there? Because John the Baptist told them that this is the one I spoke of when mm-hmm. I when I was saying mm-hmm. this is this, this is the Lamb which you mm-hmm. know is coming from God. This is the very one I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. They probably were because a few of them were disciples of John the Baptist before they mm-hmm. became disciples. Became so disciples of Jesus, right? All right. Well, if they weren't there, they would have heard the story. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, by word of mouth again. God speaking to them. So before you started following some itinerant pe- preacher, what kinds of things would you need to know before you started to follow him? Would you need to know what the re- retirement plan was? <laughs> <laughs> How much time would you be able to spend with your family if you actually followed him or not, f- or, or not spend with him? Would you need to know his mission, his beliefs, his statement? Does he have a mission statement? Where is he actually going with his teachings? You know, it's kind of interesting to think how they just got up and left. I don't think it was instantaneous, because I think they had heard of him for a while. Well, do you think they left because they really thought he was the Messiah and saw whatever he was going to do? Um, Mrs. White tells us um, that they... They saw his face, some of the disciples saw his face at his baptism and realized that he was just very, uh, the contentment on his face, the, um, that he had a mission, that he was ready to go forward, but, but yet humble in spirit. I mean, they were drawn to that kind of a man. I don't know that there's anyone that I can think of on earth that would emulate that kind of character, you know, that would be... <coughs> have forcefulness but yet a hum- humbleness as well it's a it's sort of like you know how how can how, how can you emulate being angry in the sanctuary and yet have and yet draw children to you as well i don't know how that would be possible but jesus did it at least one of them was a zealot who was out for political reform so some of them were looking for somebody who was different, who was going to shake up, and who would possibly bring about a change in the government. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think so. The, the tie between his baptism until he called the disciples, he had gone through the temptation in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. So that that's ordeal um, probably physically changed him, at least for a time. Mm-hmm. And with fasting, you mean? Yeah, fasting mm-hmm. and, and and whatnot, and so and the stress of that endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, you would think that his physical appearance would be different 
when he called his disciples, at least when he first came back mm -hmm. to John, than, than before mm -hmm. at the time of his, his. And so the individual who called them to follow him was a little different than this person who first walked up and asked for baptism. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, anybody who fasts for 40 days is going to be more emaciated looking. Mm -hmm. Right? Well, also, if you think today, if there's someone that's anti-establishment that's in the fringes, you know, that's not going to attract very many people, generally. And so, now you have someone, someone that is anti-establishment, and yet this is someone you're attracted to. You know, the, 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 the normal people every day, they would, if they want to be part of the establishment, then they would follow the priest. And if you're not, if you're a little bit off, you don't agree with the priest totally, there's not, who else are you going to follow? There's not a lot of choices, probably, at that time. You have John the Baptist, but the rest of the people are kind of wackos. Okay. So that would be a, a fresh breath, uh, a, 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 you know, something different. After crucifixion and ascension, um, some of the disciples were brought in and brought in for trial to the Sanhedrin. I think it was, I forget which one, Emilio or whoever, stood up and said, remember these guys who went off the desert and they became nothing, or remember these guys, whatever. So there's several wild hairs going around at this time that they could point to as an example of weird and wonderful things. This was the time of the of his prophecies, and there was a great interest in what was coming about. Mm -hmm. And so I think there was a little bit more upheaval and willingness to go investigate than maybe during the middle of a time when there wasn't the end of prophecy, the expectation that the Messiah was coming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good point. Um, and... If you think about that for these times, then, is um, do we have like an expectation today of something perhaps happening? Um, do you ever look in the sky and say, is there a small hand cloud, you know? Um, do you ever uh, think in the, when you hear some of the news stuff that's going on, not just the fatalities and the calamities that are happening in the world, because that seems to be just opening up and... It's just like craziness uh, with disasters and so forth. But what about people that come to the forefront of, of Christendom and uh, some of their ideas that they have? Do you ever think, oh, this could be it? Or politically, do we think, oh, well, this president bring us to the Sunday laws or, you know, whatever? Something you said earlier about who's, who's here on earth now that emulates uh, you know, the character of Christ. And in our little group here, we, we look on that as like, well, of course, there's nobody, you know, because mm -hmm. we know better than that. But mm -hmm. there appears to be just a whole lot of people in the world that are very taken with a great number, well, I shouldn't say a great number, but a great number of people that are taken with certain individuals they're bringing people to hear them talk, mm -hmm. you know, by the thousands. Mm -hmm. Mega churches, you know, where it appears to me that people are all about putting all of their thoughts and actions into some individual that seems to be so charismatic, they're willing to, mm -hmm. you know, invest a whole lot of their life. So, you know, is that Holy Spirit? Is that Satan? <laughs> How do you differentiate? But those people are very devoted. They're Christians. They they claim to be Christians. They are doing good. You know, it's mm -hmm. um, very easy, I think, for us to 
think that we've got it right here,、mm-hmm. and we look at others and go, "Well, well." For example, there's that mega church in Texas where he promises goods and all kinds of things if you just follow Jesus. You know, he's just one. Yeah, he's just one of them. I mean, there's、um, Creek. There's out in San Diego. <laughs> there,、mm-hmm. um, there, there's the Crystal Cathedral. There's places,、mm-hmm. and obviously, some of those people have something that are capturing the hearts of. Thousands and thousands of people, you know, and I, I look at them sometimes, and I think, what is the draw? What is it that makes that so significant?、Uh, is it just because it seems so easy? It's so, I don't know, it's so simple, and we they can pat themselves on the back that they're they're going and supporting a community collective.、Mm-hmm. Oh well, we're all nice people, so we'll all come together.、Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's very troublesome, and and something that we as Adventists should really be very、uh, mindful of what we represent and how we are going to be looked at in the closing days.、Mm-hmm. Are we going to have the ability to stand up? Are we going to know the word enough? To be able to. Well, are we going to even be able to emulate the character of God、yeah. through trial? Well, even when we think we are a little, there's always room for improvement. Oh yeah, sure, of course.、Um, well, talking about that, then there's there there are people that we look up to. Can you think of a friend or a pastor or a teacher, somebody that has influenced you greatly in your life?、Um, well, let's start with Tim. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Sure, and it's a worldwide ministry now with the online、uh, website, etc. But are we going to follow him? I think that's one of the problems: is when we have a charismatic leader that we tend to just suck up to that person and think, "Oh, I'll just believe everything he or she says." And so I think we have to really go home and study for ourselves and and and. Make it ourselves, and that's why I think it's so good to have a small group to help one another in that study and in the growth of your continued、uh, spiritual life in the day by day,、uh, growing, going through trials in, in life. I think that's what's very, very important. That's what he's suggesting, though. Yeah, we, you know, common reason. Yeah, exactly. What he's saying. I don't think it's to draw people to him. No, I, I, no, I, I don't think he's wanting to do that. One iota, but I think that is the danger. Of course, that is one of the things that I've appreciated about the class is that it teaches you to think and not take for granted something that you've learned in the past as the gospel.、Mm-hmm. You need to search it out yourself.、Mm-hmm. But more importantly, is the emulation of Christ.、Mm-hmm. If you're drawing close to Him and you're becoming more like Him, you will be a witness、mm-hmm. to everybody. I mean, just because you say that you're a Seventh Day Adventist, that doesn't mean a lot in the community. Because a lot of people have been screwed over by Adventists, and they're like,、mm-hmm. "Yeah, I know you Adventists, you can't do this, you can't do that, but you'll bend the rules when it comes to this and this,、mm-hmm. you know." But if we're all trying to be like Christ, that's what they're going to remember. You were the ones that helped me when I was hurting. You were the ones that came when I needed, you know.、Mm-hmm. It's the little things. It's not,、um, but it's、uh, a number of people can just really hurt the reputation of Christians in general, too. In general, that's right. Mm-hmm. So, if I think about somebody that's really influenced me in the past—a teacher, a friend, someone that was a family friend—I thought a lot of him. But in the later part of his life, he really disappointed me、uh, in some of the things that he did and said to not just my family, but to his own family. And here I'd put him on a pedestal of how well he did with his family and how wonderful his family was. But in the end、uh, of his life. 
he changed. That doesn't mean that he wasn't genuine when I first really looked up to him. But we need to really be very, very cognizant of looking towards who? To Jesus and not just to his children. But I think we need to be helping one another in life's ways. But there are people that we want to emulate and people that we want to be like and people that um, are very Christian-oriented. But we can be disappointed by them. I would like to talk about my own mother. Okay. She was a very dedicated Christian. I mean, she found the truth. She was so delighted. She knew she didn't have it. She don't go to church on Sunday. You don't baptize like this and all the things. And then there was advertisement, and she found the truth. She was delighted. And I have seen, I'm from Holland during the war, but a solid face she had. Jewish people who lived on the other end of town, we had moved. They came by the city, are betrayed, can you take us? That was the risk of your own life. We had no way to hide it, but she took them. You love your neighbor as yourself. And then a few weeks later, there was a Russia. My back neighbors warned me, they said, Antoinette, is a Russia. And that means the Germans had closed up the street and they checked your house from top to bottom. And I told my mother, she said, relax, there are no surprises to the Lord, be in his hands. As calm as can be, I've never, he knows my mother very well, I've never heard her yell, we had six kids, I was the fifth one. <laughs> It's a very consistent life, isn't it? Pleasant. Mm-hmm. So anyway, then uh, somebody warned me, from Antoinette, there is a Russia going on. Okay, there's a Russia going on. What's next? So I told my mother, she said, relax, don't worry about it. But never happened before. We lived about this far from the corner. And two, three houses before, they turned around and did not finish the street. Hmm. <laughs> now I've never seen that miracle but I think when we totally trust God and we give him control he takes control mm-hmm. that's wonderful to have a mother like that oh yeah I, I, my sister of course we have six kids and my sister is in the states and so am I we, all I said we could never have a better mother and um, isn't it true that we preach more to our family than to anyone else that's right <laughs> you see it every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that the fruits of the Spirit, they go beyond just witnessing all the time. They also, the, the long-suffering and the patience and everything. To me, it's been amazing when you pray for someone. It's more like you need to just stand back and watch the Holy Spirit at work. It's not, yes, you may speak, of the Lord to them, and you may try to witness to them, but it's it's the patience and just because it's all in His time, mm-hmm. and it's in just standing back and watching Him. You do what you can, mm-hmm. but it's really not what you do. It's hard to do, isn't it? Yes. Because we're we want to be busy and doing and helping God in many ways, but learning that patience to um, let the Holy Spirit work is a, um, an amazing thing. And when you see it happen, you think, wow, <laughs> nothing could have done that but the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Nothing that mm-hmm. I could have done mm-hmm. could have changed, brought about that change mm-hmm. but the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Very good. All right. Yes, Linda. I think that the true prosperity that the Bible's talking about is the prosperity of the Spirit. Is prosperity... Uh, my grandmother was one who 
um, raised nine children essentially on her own. And God was full to his promise that I am a father to the fatherless and I'm your true husband. Because she relied on him for everything and he answered in miraculous ways. And to me, that's a prosperity gift that she gave to me was a life of faith. Mm-hmm. Lived in her life, basic mm-hmm. life. She had less than an eighth grade education. It was through the depression. She managed to keep her sanity, keep all these <laughs> nine kids together, and uh, not adopt them out to various places. And she fed them, and they all grew up. And mm-hmm. I mean, she was remarkable. And I find that to be a rich gift of spiritual life and connection to God from her rather than these prosperity ministers who say that God's going to make you wealthy and he's got financial plans for you, which is where people want to go. I want finances. Just like in Jesus' time, they wanted the Romans to be gone and they wanted to have Jesus be the ruler and so on. He said, my kingdom isn't of this earth. The prosperity that I'm talking about is prosperity of spirit. And why would God want us to be wealthy anyway? Because other parts of this, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than a candle to go through the eye of a needle. Why would we even want that? But that's where our minds go. We think that God means prosperity of money. Very very well said. Thank you. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about John the Baptist. That's on Tuesday's lesson. Um, In Desire of Ages, let me just share with you a statement. She says, if he announced himself, talking about John the Baptist, if he announced himself as the Messiah and raised a revolt against Rome. He could have easily done that with his long hair and you know, his sword at his side. And he raised a revolt against Rome. Priests and people would have flocked to his standard. Every consideration that appeals to the ambition of the world's conquerors, Satan had stood ready to urge upon John the Baptist. Even his disciples, his own disciples, urged him to be jealous of Jesus as Jesus became greater than than himself. So he had quite a temptation. Have you ever thought about the temptation that John had uh, to become like Lucifer was in, in heaven? Remember? Lucifer, what was Lucifer's greatest problem? His greatest sin? Jealousy. Jealousy of Michael. Christ. Of Christ. Uh huh. And John had that same temptation. Isn't it amazing that he didn't even bend toward it? Really, if you think about it. He was already great in and of himself. He drew crowds out into the wilderness. He could have easily said, okay, follow me, everybody. But he didn't even bend toward that. It has always surprised me that Jesus never came and uh, visited John in prison. Why do you think he didn't do that? Probably political. That would have been a political uh, display for the the Pharisees and so forth. He probably didn't want to to draw that attention to himself. But it would have been so easy to do, so natural to do. Because John was asking himself, who is, is he really the Messiah? It's kind of the sad part of the story, isn't it? But um, I think John's faith was still strong till the end. Um, he realized that Jesus was uh, to increase. Uh, he knew he was the voice. And I think this is also what's very interesting. Also in Desire of Ages, she says, those who are true to their calling as messengers for God will not seek honor for themselves. And he certainly was one who was not seeking honor for himself. He knew what his, what his um, 
what his mission was. Love for self will be swallowed up for love for Christ, and no rivalry will mar the precious cause of the gospel. Um, it's, it's interesting to me that um, he, he withdrew his influence at the proper time, and uh, he stayed true to his calling, didn't bend, like I said, to, um, to other people, you know, push, pulling on his coat string and saying, come on, let's, let's do it now, you know. He didn't bend towards that. He didn't bend towards his disciples' de- jealousy. He said, no, he has to increase and I must decrease. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, she says again in Desire of Ages, this is the chapter about John the Baptist uh, on page 182, the same dangers today still exist God calls a man to a certain work, and when he is carried it as far as he is qualified to take it, the Lord brings in others to carry it still further. But like John's disciples, many feel that the success of the work depends on the first laborer. I think that's so interesting because today we have management books that talk about the Peters Principle and how we move management people on up the line that don't really know what they're to be doing, and maybe that's not their strength. Um, and yet here, here in our uh, spiritual teachings, we have something that says, look, we, there is certain work for some people to do, and then other people have to take it on to the next level. And um, we often maybe even talk about evangelists, and, and um, oh, here they come on their white horse ready to grab the people, and then you know, what do we do with them when they leave? But that was their work, is to bring the people in. And then our work of those of us that are in the church is to keep them and to love them and to help them understand God's mission and his work. And so I think we need to be careful um, with this same, uh, this same idea that John had, his, his, um, his temptation. We still have that temptation ourselves is to say, oh, well, let that someone else do that work or let now he's doing something that he shouldn't be doing and so i think that danger still exists for us today so let us be careful as we talk about uh, what other people are doing for christ's ministry and make sure that we're doing the work that god has asked us to do it's easier though i think sometimes to all our stories are about people like john the baptist or elijah or whatever they're not about some farmer that's living in the corner of the world farming, you know? And I think it, just thinking about it, it's easier to know what it is someone else is called to work to do than it is yours. You know? I mean, John had a specific call. He knew even before he was born what he was supposed to do. Very few of us have that distinct calling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We may feel called to a position or title or or a role, but yet how to do that is not very distinct. Do you think it has more to do with professions today? I mean, we have a um, we choose when we're quite young what we're going to do with our life, profession-wise, and then do we have a calling within that, or is that our calling? Our <clears throat> calling is to be his witnesses. Mm-hmm. With, but I think that that becomes part of our profession. Uh, I worked for a a number of years for Memorial Hospital, and they taught us at Memorial, of course it's a Catholic institution, that our ministry, our work is our ministry, and our ministry is our work. I don't know if anyone else was 
recalls, I, I cannot forget one of Pastor Nixon's sermons on Andrew. And that has stayed with me because he brought out the fact that um, Andrew was the first to follow Jesus. And he immediately went and got his brother. But Andrew was never on in the inner circle of Peter, James, and John. And he never is mentioned as doing anything great. But in all of the um, little things that he did, he brought the boy with the fishes to Jesus. And he um, did small things, and it was always, he, he took his brother Peter to Jesus. And it was the small things that he did, and always it was just when the people came and they wanted to talk to Jesus, it was Andrew that said, well, let's take them to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that was his main service, and he never apparently objected to that. Mm-hmm. He just simply took them to Jesus. Mm-hmm. He brought them to Jesus. And that's what we can do as well, is uh, the Good News Tour coming up, our responsibility is to bring people to to hear the message. And that's all we need. That's um, and that's a, a small a small task, but they see how it really made big things happen for the disciples. Yes. It has been said that, um, in fact, it's it's in the Bible, I believe, that uh, without a vision, the people perish. And essentially, um, you know, going back to John the Baptist, he hadn't had an opportunity really to see everything that Jesus was was achieving and that he was uh, working towards. I mean, he'd heard heard things about it. And, of course, he had, you know, seen the Holy Spirit, the sign of the Holy Spirit when Jesus was baptized. But when, when you are someone that has attracted attention, the people who are around you or that... You know, want you to go further with the attention that you've gotten. Some will will sometimes push you towards a vision that you're not sure of, and I think I think that's what's happening with a lot of these political, you know, in this season of trying to who's going to be next in line to be president or something, you know. And but you know, to bring it back to the spiritual realm, I think that Tim has a, a vision of what this church can be without without the concepts that you'll burn as long as you deserve or that you'll burn that anyone will burn eternally or that God is a is a stern and and a ruthless judge in the end that sort of thing and and I I have to give credit to the the preachers and I I don't believe everything you know that they teach obviously you know but all these, what they call the prosperity preachers, I have to give credit to those guys for trying to have, trying to offer Christians a vision of their future other than being a sinner that has to constantly be sort of groveling before God for your sins. And, you know, you you just hope that you're going to make it, you know, that you're not going to burn somehow or that someone you know isn't going to burn because of something that you did or whatever. And I mean, these guys are trying to offer a vision of, of hope and prosperity, and 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 uh, yes, prosperity, I should say, you know, to people that have have sort of been beaten down, really, over the years, even centuries. All right, let's go to Wednesday's lesson, shall we?
discipleship with Jesus. I like the paragraph from the Desire of Ages. Can someone read that until this time? Last paragraph there. Until this time, none of the disciples were fully united as co-laborers with Jesus. They had witnessed many of his miracles and had listened to his teaching, but they had not entirely forsaken their former employment. The imprisonment of John the Baptist had become all a bitter disappointment. If such were to be the outcome of John's mission, they could have little hope for their master. With all the religious leaders combined against him, under the circumstances, it was a relief to them to return for a short time to their fishing. But now Jesus called them to forsake their former life and unite their interests with his. Peter had accepted the call. Upon reaching the shore, Jesus bade the three other disciples, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left all and followed. So this paragraph tells us again that the disciples, they were vacillating a little bit until he actually called them by the lake there. But what would it take for us to be disciples, to become disciples or followers of Jesus today? Did they follow Jesus because they were so attracted to them, to him, that they could not imagine doing something else? Um, is it feasible for us to be that kind of a disciple today, where we just take everything and just uh, leave everything and just uh, follow him? What would happen today? I mean, we think about... You think about, well, is there a retirement plan? Is there a salary? Am I, how am I going to eat? How am I going to live? I have too much common sense. <laughs> yeah. Is that expected of us today? You know, there's a balance between being led by the Holy Spirit to do something. Somehow God and His providence <clears throat> will provide for you and your livelihood, for your, you know, your physical needs. <clears throat> And on the other end of the scale, the sin of Simon Magus, which is to go into church work so you can get paid, so you can get rich, you know, whatever. And here again, you know, uh, the, the people that are most successful are the ones that are under the most scrutiny. And well, um, Dr. Moses brought that up before. Um, I mean, are we, are, are we actually, what is our calling? What? In this day and age, it is expected, isn't it, for all of us to at least pull a job and pull a paycheck so that we don't have to beg for money and ask people to be part of our ministry, whatever it might be? What do you think is expected of us today? Isn't it fear, our own personal fear that holds us back from doing that? I mean, mm-hmm. we, we, he just mentioned it. We read the Bible. The Lord will provide for our needs. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, whoops, wait, we have wants. Oh, wait, do we have that mixed up? Yeah. Yes? Even Paul was a tent maker, and even throughout all his ministry, he worked, it sounds like, full-time to support himself, even though he was a full-time minister of God. And it sounds like during times when he was in prison and stuff, he had to receive gifts, but the rest of the time, it sounds like he was a tent maker. So do you think that's probably what we should be doing is, again, have a work and make that part of our ministry beyond what we do? I mean, some of you here have two or maybe three jobs. Is it needful? Do you have a ministry as well beyond what your work is? Um, I work with ASI, and uh, in ASI, it is uh, understood that, that we all come from all walks of life, you know, 
doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs, but our work is our ministry mm -hmm. because we, on a daily basis, share Christ in our marketplace. Mm -hmm. And my sphere of influence is different than yours and his and somebody else's. However, if we take on the gospel commission that uh, you mentioned in Matthew 19, it's it's our daily, what we're doing, what, what God has given us the ability uh, to do here on this earth, we are a daily witness in our daily walk. So no matter what our work is, we can still have that as our ministry. And I think that's important because we have to have a purpose in life as well. And... Um, and yet, as we interface and work with people, do they see trustworthiness in us? Do they see selflessness? Do they see uh, generosity? You know, all of those things. So as we work in our daily sphere, are we showing those traits of character even in the work we do? Are we trying to grasp or be greedy? I was talking to... Um, uh, <laughs> Bab earlier and she said in the work that she does people can be successful as long as they're not greedy and have you seen that before when people are greedy even in the work they do whether it be talking about money or goods or uh, serving others it is a difference isn't it how we act in the marketplace and so I think it's important for us to have a work to do that we're not just Picketing on the street, um, you know, or um, sh uh, passing out flyers of our own thoughts and ideas, but rather engaging in life and engaging other people in life and acting as a Christian with, with uh, gifts of the Spirit and um, fruit of the Spirit. I think that's really, really important. I was thinking as you were talking, there are so many government regulations out there. Most jobs now where you don't dare speak about certain things. And what's beautiful to me is what you're talking about, and I think as we've come to understand the character of Christ, he's not saying, go preach the Sabbath uh, on your break in the kitchen. You know, he's saying, show them my character. Exactly. And that can so much more important. Oh, and so much more pleasant to do, mm -hmm. and so much better received. That better received, yes. You, you bet. I mean, there's no law against the types of things that Christ taught when He was on Earth. Mm -hmm. So it, I think, uh, really behooves us as Christians and Adventists, especially, to look at what have we thought in the past was spreading the gospel at work. Mm -hmm. Were we truly just trying to prove our own doctrines or were we showing them mm -hmm. the character of Christ? Mm -hmm. Very, very important. When I think about being a Christian, because really that's the word we use today instead of disciple, isn't it? Um, we're a Christian. Um, one must be intentional about being a Christian. What do you think about that word? Um, as I listen to people that are successful, maybe as a pianist or as a vocal artist or as a painter, they have to practice what they do, don't they? So they have to go home and be intentional about practicing the piano. They have to be intentional about um, drawing some drawings. My, my son is in architectural school, and, and even on break, he's got his tracing paper, and he's... Um, showing us different designs and, and, and so forth. He has to start doing those kind of things. He has to start practicing drawing the lines and, and the uh, different angles 
for him to become a better architect. And so he has to be intentional about it. And what are we doing about becoming an intentional Christian? I really like those two words together. Are you being an intentional Christian today, modernly? Are we showing the character of Christ? Do we have those fruits of the Spirit? I think that's really, really important. And as Tim always points out, the last one of the fruits of the spirits is self-control. Very, very important to have as well because we don't just do everything we want to do because we're being selfless. When we're being selfless, then we think of others before we think of our own needs or our, our own wants, right? Linda? A description that I read in one of Mrs. White's books that just touched my soul. She said she depicted a child who was out in the freezing snow, yeah. freezing to death, and people would, if, if you were the parent of that child, and you know, knew that people had walked by and seen her and gone on, that she could have been spared if you had just brought her into someplace warm. How furious you would have been at that person for their lack of compassion for your child. You know, that they could have been saved. They could have been warmed through attention from you, but you just went on. You know, if we put it home personally, how would we feel if someone neglected our child's welfare if they were in danger? Somebody, a stranger or a friend, either one. I mean, if we looked at everyone like that freezing child, that would put intention into our life, that we wouldn't just be so selfish. We have no compassion. We have no interest in, you know, uh, the way they'll find their way. And sometimes it's not not bringing them in from the cold, but just saying, hey, I found a really neat way of living or thinking. Um, I'd like to share it with you sometime. Or come to this meeting or do this or, or, you know, we have to be intentional about asking people to be a part of what you have found to be exciting. And not until you're excited about what you know and what, what Christianity is about do you actually start doing that and start asking people to come and hear, come and listen, come and share. That's what attracts them. Yes, that's what, exactly, that's what attracts them because you're excited about something. They want to know exactly what it is that you're excited about as well. And they want to be happy. Right, right. So I think that's very important to become intentional Christians. And think about it this week. What am I doing to become an intentional Christian? I really want you to think about creating some kind of small groups within our larger Sabbath school group so that we can become intentional with one another and then bringing those friends together and then bringing other people outside of that group in as well to help them with their spiritual walk and and their daily walk. so I think that's important to understand. All right. Thank you so much for your um, attention and your comments today. I appreciate it very much. Let's just pray as we end. Thank you, dear Lord, so much for the opportunity and the privilege to be your disciple. Um, I pray that as we go about our work, that it will be our ministry and that our ministry will be our work, that we will exude your character in everything we do this week. And as we start a new year, may we not just have empty New Year's resolutions, but may we be intentional about being like you this week and this year, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.